Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This week on The Gary Hour, why circumcision? Why take a piece of the penis? You're taking a certain part of your earthly pleasures and saying, you know, there's, there are a lot of pleasures in the world. I'm going to, I'm not going to be ascetic. I'm not going to live, you know, on a cave and, you know, deny myself this world because God created this world for us to be able to, that the body should also enjoy. You know, we eat a meal on the Sabbath. We don't fast on the Sabbath. But you want to take some of the pleasure? Take a little bit. You know, you, you take just, just the tip, just, you know, just a reminder <laughs> that, you know, um, as good as it gets, you know, I don't have to go all in. I can, uh, uh-huh. Um, that's that's one. There are many many reasons. I mean, there's spiritual lessons upon that as but well. But why not take a finger or something? You know, so you have less touch. At the same time, you know, and you have to kind of embrace the mystery here. That um, there's also the idea that God still knows everything that's going to happen before it happens. Right. So why wouldn't you just like throw Hitler in front of a bus? I can't do. You know, if, if I if I if I if I had the answer, I would be God, so to speak. Welcome to another episode of the Gary Hour. I'm your host, Gary Levitt. This week, I talked to Rabbi Mordechai Lightstone. Now, if you ever think that you can easily stereotype someone, listen to this. Because he defies all stereotypes. We talk about anti-Semitism. We talk about Judaism. We talk about traditions. We talk about the future, Jews in space, technology, and outreach, and love. This episode is brought to you by Future Moments, makers of mobile apps for content creation. If you're a musician, a podcaster, voiceover artist, filmmaker, or someone that just makes videos, go to the App Store and search for Future Moments because there's an app that'll make your life easier and your productions so much better. Check out the show notes for links. If there's someone you think I should have as a guest, email me. I'm always looking for interesting people to interview. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. Okay, we did it. Indeed, indeed. Rabbi Mordechai Lightstone? Yeah, Rabbi Mordechai Lightstone in the in the flesh. In the flesh, yes. You are... Uh, Ted resident, you do so many things. You're 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 studying to give a TED talk. You're a rabbi. You are a social media event organizer. So so I am. I, I'm as follows. I just completed the TED residency. Um, the TED talk was December fifth, 
You uh, gave it already. I gave it already, yeah. It was, it was the exact same time as Savannah, who I believe was on the show previously. Savannah Rogers, yeah. Exactly. So we were in the same cohort. But it's not out yet. It's not out yet, no. It's like, that's like a year from now or six months. Or I don't know. Whenever they, whenever, whenever the, the, the TED gurus figure out the optimal time to inject a little Mordechai into the world, I'll, I'll show up. <laughs> but it's filmed and it's complete. Yeah, it's filmed and complete. Um, and I guess it's waiting to be edited at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where the real Ted magic comes in, I guess. Yes. Because um, they take me and they somehow make it something that people want to hear. Ted's like the wizard behind the curtain. No exactly. one's met Ted. <laughs> exactly. Who is Ted? <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so I, um, I just c- completed the Ted residency. I am a Hasidic rabbi. Um, I am a social media editor for Chabad.org, which is the world's largest Jewish website. And my wife, uh, Hannah, and I run a Chabad house, which is a... It's many different things to many people, but it's basically a place for um, young Jews to come together and be able to experience Judaism, explore Judaism, and kind of, you know, figure what all this stuff that, you know, exists in our past and apply it to their lives. Uh, it's called, this. our particular flavor of Chabad is called uh, Tech Tribe. So it's an organization that we created that's dedicated to making events and experiences for people in tech and digital media. Meaning that within all the people in the world, those people who are driven crazy by their time, time online, I want to be able to kind of disconnect and experience life, you know, without the devices for a couple of minutes um, and <laughs> kind of explore the analogs. That's that's where the that so it's almost from. an anti-tech tribe. Exactly. It, it, well, the truth is, it's the the true tech because technology can only really be appreciated when you use it for a good purpose. You know, if you use it for negative stuff, it's gonna it destroys you. You spend too much time online, and it's like a cesspool. It's like you want to get off. Yeah. But if you kind of disconnect and you have that moment to find your bearings and to figure out why am I really here? Why am I tweeting so much? You know, why, why, why am I refreshing Facebook? Okay, now I know. So when you go back on, you can give it something else. Right. And that's actually your job is to tweet and uh, spread the word about Chabad, right? Um, so essentially, we, uh, Chabad.org is a very, very... Um, uh, it's one of the first websites ever, actually. It um, First went, websites ever. Yeah, it went online in 1993. Wow. Um, I didn't even Yahoo, know the internet uh, existed in 93. Indeed. The internet, uh, the World Wide Web, the internet is older. The internet itself is from DARPAnet. It's this whole older thing that was created in case there was a nuclear holocaust and everything went offline. The internet would stay online. It was created by the army. But the World Wide Web was uh, created in, uh, I think the protocols were put out in 91, um, somewhere around then. It really went public in 92. Um, 93 was when you had the first websites come out. So Chabad.org, um, which is an organization much larger than myself, uh, with many people who were involved in, you know, from you know, the inception on and, and things like that. But Chabad.org went online in 93. Uh-huh. Bur- very, bur- very biblical. Yes. <laughs> first. Yeah. So uh, how do you juggle all of these? Th- I want to talk about your TED Talk. But before we get to your TED Talk, how do, how do you juggle... Being a rabbi, being a father, um, being a social media—like you're involved in all this modern tech—are you, are you considered a hipster? Uh, what, what are they? What do you? What, I saw this on your Twitter. Uh, yeah. or, I, I have a uh, a Tumblr. Um, it was a Tumblr. It still is a Tumblr, but now it's more. It switched to Instagram more called Hasidur Hipster. Yes, yes. That um, explores the funny fact that in certain corners of Brooklyn. You can look at a person and not be sure if this is a Hasidic Jew, you know, named Moshe, or if it's, you know, some, you know, hipster that has, you know, an indie rock band and, you know, whatever. Right, because we're in Crown Heights, Brooklyn right now. Yes. And, yeah, you really can't tell uh, an or- orthodox apart from a hipster. Yeah. Pardon me if I get the terms wrong. There are many terms, yeah. Um, 
I mean, there's a whole history behind that, as one would think, as well. Yeah. But yeah, but the Hasidic Jews are a subset of Orthodox Jews. Orthodox Jews being people that, uh, um, well, I'll speak for Hasidic Jews are people that try to bring in mysticism and meaning and passion into uh, daily Jewish life and try and find and experience God in, in all things, uh, be it prayer or you know, even your, your basic, you know, eating, drinking, sleeping, whatever you have to do to really make it a meaningful thing. Right. So Orthodox Jew is a more of an umbrella term right. for all the different uh, sects? Uh, groups or movements, groups? you know. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you're online a lot because that's your job. Yes. Right? <laughs> so you have this tech tribe to be anti-tech. Um, to be... Oh, we... To be clear, Tech Tribe, we do things online as well, and we make events that will use technology and explore how technology can be used for really new and innovative purposes. So for Tech Tribe, we just completed a series called Jews in Space. Uh-huh. Um, it started... Um, are there Jews in space? Uh, there have been Jews in space. If there's an, are Jewish astronauts in space right now, I didn't check. Um, okay. there, there could be as well. Um, <laughs> but this was kind of a, a broader look. Uh, you have these guys, especially in Silicon Valley now, you have Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and... The whole tech world is clamoring to, you know, privatize space and go out there and colonize Mars. And, you know, that's great. You know, Elon Musk is going to build, I'm sure, really cool something on, on Mars one day. Yes. Um, but, you know, is there going to be a place for a person that looks like me, you know, for someone, you know, like for my family, for Jewish people in general? And really, if in a broader sense, for any minority or niche group, you know, if Silicon Valley designs, and I, I, I love tech and I have, you know, certain things I really appreciate about uh you know, the whole tech movement, things like that. But if they drive the narrative, they're probably not going to make space for someone like that. Space right. in space. Um, <laughs> so uh, that's the whole purpose of this project was to kind of explore, you know, how would Jewish life look if you went to Mars? So we had an artist named Nitsan Bartov. She's a, an Israeli artist, lives in uh, Williamsburg. Mm-hmm. And she um, created augmented reality projects that basically kind of give a dynamic look at some traditional Jewish artifacts and how they could look on Mars. Whoa, this is getting out there. Do you see yourself being on Mars during your lifetime? I would probably... And why Mars? Because they found water? Um, why Mars? I think there's, it's, it's the closest planet that's, um, I believe, unless Venus is closer. I believe Mars is closer. I'm not an um, astronomer, but uh, I believe Mars is closer. Um, Mars definitely has the things that are better for human life in terms of obviously you can't just live on mars but doesn't have a a poisonous atmosphere like venus has um it's relatively relatively accessible um so and i i imagine if there's water there that's something that would help as well but it's just there's a greater mission and drive to go to mars um do i think it's gonna happen in my lifetime i do not see it as impossible i think it very well could sure um do I think people are going to live there permanently? I for sure wouldn't. I, I happen to like Earth and think that... As, as, <laughs> is Earth your favorite planet? It is my favorite planet, <laughs> yes. Um, I, I happen to think Pluto is also a planet, which is another conversation. Uh, right. Uh, but um, I, I like... Uh, I, I think that is as great as it is to explore Mars, and really to, you know, in every way possible, mm-hmm. and really see what we can learn about ourselves and about the universe and all these things on Mars. And I would love to visit Mars. Um, I wouldn't want to live there because ultimately I think we're all together, even if you have people on Mars, the majority of people are going to be here on Earth, and we're on this this crazy planet together, and we have to make it work somehow, and just to kind of say, okay, let's cut our losses and go to, you know, Earth 2.0 is kind of missing the point of making things work while we're here right now. Right, right. So, uh, what was your TED Talk about? 
so my TED talk, without too many spoilers, um, right, uh, is an exploration of how kind of the the Hasidic look, at least within you know the the Hasidic movement that I'm affiliated with, uh, the Hasidic look at the internet and its potential to be a force of good. What do you mean the look? Like the, how with the beard and the, the, the sorry the Hasidic the Hasidic uh, approach and the, the what insight Hasidic tradition can be uh, can give to spending time online. Um, in the sense that there is a, a rabbinic teaching that everything um, in the world was created for God and for good and for people to use it for you know holy purposes for you know endowing them with with meaning and purpose and things like that. Um, and so, like the traditional thing is, why was gold created? The medrash is this collection of uh, rabbinic teachings um, from the Talmudic times. It says uh-huh. why uh, why was gold created? Gold was created in order to adorn the temple in Jerusalem. Why does it say that? Because gold, people kill each other for gold. People make idols out of gold. People lust after gold. Gold can be a pretty negative thing. But ultimately, the purpose, as it were, of gold is um, is to adorn something beautiful and something holy and good. Right. And that, that really encapsulated within that is a larger message that if there are these technologies that exist in the world, be it the internet, Twitter, Snapchat, whatever, you know, whatever AR thing they have us hooked up to in, in three years from now, yeah. um, if we have the ability to use it for good, then it's you know incumbent on us to see how we can use it for good, to, to use it to connect to people, bring people together, share wisdom, kindness, you know, encourage good things. Because humans will use it to troll, that's obvious, but... We have to find the light in there and share that light. So your TED, I'm not completely clear. So your TED Talk is about... TED Talk is how to be a lamplighter, how to mm. find the time you spend on, inter- on the internet um, to, to make it a meaningful time, to, make it, uh, to find the light there and share that light, share that goodness with other people. Right. Do you, why do you think the internet can kind of bring out so much negativity? It's yeah. almost like cars, like people are way bigger jerks when they're in a car. And they would never do that if they were in person. Yeah, cut you off, not let you in. I think the internet. I mean, listen. One of the things built into the early web was this concept of anonymity. You know, on the web, no one knows you're a dog. You know, it's like a New Yorker cartoon that was, uh-huh. you know. Um, and there, there is a certain beauty in that that you can connect and explore. And there are. I'm a Hasidic rabbi. You know, I, I don't think I'm very, you know, uh, scary looking. But there are people who are like, oh, you know, that guy's got a beard and a hat, and you know, like, you know, I don't know if he's gonna want to talk to me, and you know, whatever. People have their assumptions. People have predispositions and, and biases and things like that. Right. And the internet, because it's not a face, it's just an avatar. Hey, rabbi, can I ask you a question? And I get in conversations with people who otherwise, you know, may not be so excited to speak to Hasidic rabbi. They say, hey, you know, we, you know, now we're friends and we get together and we grab drinks and they come to my house for a meal and, you know, we, we do all kinds of, you know, it's, it's a way to meet people and get to know people and, and the anonymity, so to speak. Or can, it can be positive. It can be positive, exactly. As well, right. This, at the same time, when you don't have that barrier of, you know, you know, the, when, you, when you're face-to-face with someone, you're going to be nicer if you're not, you know, a total jerk. Yep. You're going to be, you're going to see the human that you're speaking to and realize, hey, I said something mean, and now I see the guy's upset. One second. Oh, wait, let me take a step back. Let me make this more, let me change the direction of this conversation. When it's just the web, you could flame at someone and, just, you know, completely troll them and, and, and do all kinds of awful things. And you don't see the effect of what's going on. And so that's the negative side. Mm-hmm. And really, essentially, we have before us, you know, a, a scale 
that's kind of you know 50 50 and it's our choice do i want to be the one that that drops the weight and, and tips the side of the scale to, to positivity and good or to negativity and it's, it's really that that balance that right so you chose positivity i definitely try i mean <laughs> <laughs> so in the ted talk I, I also want to talk about the whole residency thing and what they do to help you but so in your ted talk that is coming out when it comes out um you are talking about your role as a social media uh marketer for chabad um so I, I it's less about my official position which is social media editor okay and more the fact that i am a you know a rabbi that's using social media okay. and there is a perceived paradox in this that you have someone that lives by you know Talmudic law. Um, you know, I, I put on the tefillin. I put on these special boxes every day, and I pray, and you know, I study. And you special know, what every day? Uh, this is something called. If you've ever, for this is a very New York moment. So, in L.A., Chicago, big cities. You'll see this a lot. Well, you'll see some Hasidic Jews may walk up to you, some Hasidic, you know, boy, uh, you know, young men, and they'll say, "Excuse me, are you Jewish by any chance?" Yeah, yeah. And then you have like there's this moment. Well, am I? Yes, no. Uh, don't you know? Everyone has their own experience there, which is a whole other conversation. But one of the things... It's certain times of the year. Um, more so around holidays, but it's, you know, for sure, pretty much any Friday, if you go to Union Square uh, here in New York, you're going to find them. Um, okay. Or, you know, Times Square or whatever, any place where you have a lot of foot traffic. And so one of the mitzvahs, uh, in terms of a little context, mitzvahs often translated as good deed. Um, really, it means commandment. Um, a kind of a... A deeper look at that. What does it mean? Commandment. God said, "Do this, so do it." Um, the word mitzvah in Hebrew is related to an Aramaic word that means to connect. Mm -hmm. That when you do a mitzvah, when you do a good deed, what you're really doing is you're connecting yourself to something higher. You're connecting to God. You're connecting to this, you know, this, you know, incredible power, and you're drawing it down to the world and creating conduit that connects you to the divine, the divine to you, and bringing holiness into this world. Mm -hmm. So when you give charity or you help an old lady cross the street or whatever you're doing you're not just you know doing something because hey it makes you a mensch hey it makes you nice right but you're, you're doing something that that really is making this world holy i mean this is you know it's our belief so when somebody comes up and says excuse me are you jewish do you want to do a mitzvah they're trying to share something they're passionate about you know a, a commandment they feel this is a beautiful thing and a way to connect and hey this is you know so one of the, the ways that they one of the 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 iconic mitzvahs that they suggest people do is something called tefillin, which are these black leather boxes that are wrapped around the arm and they go on the head. Um, they're worn by men over bar mitzvah and you say, uh, you know, a short prayer in them. And so that's something that I do every weekday. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it looks very old school, you know, but, um, well, so it's, it's a box. It's a, a, a leather box with leather, uh, with parchment inside handwritten and, you, and created by a scribe do you wear it around your neck like a necklace like? um no so it's it's it almost looks like you're taking someone's blood pressure okay. um it goes on the arm on the bicep and it's wrapped a number of three times around the bicep uh seven times around the the, the forearm mm -hmm. and then another box is placed on the head above the hairline um and then it kind of wraps around the head like almost like a crown of sorts. Okay. Um, and then... And I'm sure there's some meaning for all of that. Yeah, I mean, all, all kinds of uh, levels of, of meaning. I could, I could tell you stories about that also if you want. <laughs> you are a rabbi. Yes, indeed. Yes. How long have you been a rabbi? I was ordained in... Um, I was ordained in 2007. Okay. So sure. it's been 12 years now. Almost. 12 years. Yeah. Going on, going on your you're on your twelfth year. It's almost a bar mitzvah rabbi. Almost. <laughs> Do you get some something special happen when you hit your thirteenth year? Um, yeah. I have nothing in particular. <laughs> 
Um, okay, so I have a question for you because um, this is starting, and you being uh, accustomed to the internet and you're keeping up with technology and all the changes, society's changing almost exponentially mm-hmm. because of technology, for one thing. We're getting information exponentially more than before. Um, there's a decline in religion, is what I'm hearing. Um, Alaska, I think, just outlawed circumcision. I know there've been Iceland, no, maybe Iceland. Uh, Iceland had a ha, Iceland had that on the ballot. I'm not sure if it passed in the end or not. Mm-hmm. I, I actually I should be up to date on this. Yeah. Um, so what? Can you tell me the why circumcision? Why take a piece of the penis at birth or or close to birth? I'd not see that one coming. Um, I, I'd say so, why is it a commandment? It, it is one of the the first commandments in the. Um, in, in the Bible. Uh, it, which, the, which commandment is that? It's a commandment for um, Abraham. The, the, initially, Abraham and all of Abraham's descendants. But it's not one of the ten. Uh, not one of the ten, no. So from okay. the... From the uh, i like, I missed that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, from from the, the, the Jewish tradition, the ten commandments are these ten iconic, you know, kind of commandments uh, that are kind of split in two. Half of them deal with... That's okay. Half of them deal with the... Um, Kind of the your relationship with God, the other half deal with your relationship with your fellow human beings. You know that's where you get like the don't murder, don't steal stuff. You know other human uh, humans around you. Um, but there are many, many other uh, commandments beyond that. In total, there are six hundred and thirteen commandments in the um, in the Bible, um, in the five books of Moses. Okay. And so circumcision is one of those. What What does it say? What's the actual the actual line in verse? I'd have to. I could. You know, I'd have to pull it up. You know, I'm not. Okay. Uh, but it commands you to take the foreskin from the male child? Yeah, I mean, essentially. Uh, any reason? Any reason given? I mean, there are various reasons. When you look at the commandments in general, so um, you see that there, there are some commandments which are very logical mm-hmm. in terms of like, don't murder. Right. You don't really need a religion to tell you, to tell you not to murder. You, one would hope. We have that, a police force Yeah, now. exactly. I mean, but the reality is this is something that makes a lot of sense to our human minds, right? Right. Do unto, do unto others right, as exactly. you would want. The golden rule, this idea, you know, what, what, what is distasteful to you, don't do it to others, is the kind of the rabbinic right. um, spin on that. But then again, I wouldn't want someone <laughs> to, right. to take my foreskin. <laughs> um, but then you have um, other commandments which are not necessarily uh, logical, but they are also... There is a, a certain, they make sense. So, for example, Passover. Passover comes, mm-hmm. and Passover, um, you know, you're celebrating an event that happened in the past. Okay, that makes sense. You know, this is the liberation of the Jewish people left Egypt. You want to celebrate that? That I wouldn't think of that on my own, but if you tell me this is why you do it, it makes sense. Right. Some commandments um, are a little bit, you know, more abstract. Why do you do them? Ultimately, we do them because God said so. Mm-hmm. There are, now, they're not purely irrational. Generally speaking, there are a lot of rabbinic commentaries and explorations of the meanings behind, behind these commandments and, you know, kind of the, the spiritual messages behind them and various things like that. But ultimately, we do it because this is something that God asks us to do. And through that, we are connecting ourselves to this infinite creator. Okay. Does it have anything to do with cleanliness and infection? Definitely not, definitely not cleanliness or infection. Um, the kind of the classic rabbinic explanation given by, by Maimonides who was a 13th century, I believe 13th or 12th uh, century uh, sage born in Spain, uh, lived most of his life in Egypt, a little bit of time in Morocco, mm-hmm. buried in Israel. So Maimonides, also known as the Rambam. So he writes that uh, circumcision represents that you are taking away a certain amount of pleasure. There are a lot of nerve endings there. Mm-hmm. Um, there are more than enough nerve endings 
even with the the uh, the foreskin removal, but there's you know you're removing. I've noticed that, uh, <laughs> but but uh, that with the the um, but even you're taking a certain part of your earthly pleasures and saying you know mm-hmm. there's there are a lot of pleasures in the world. I'm going to I'm not going to be ascetic. I'm not going to live you know on a cave and you know deny myself this world because God created this world for us to be able to. That the body should also enjoy. You know, we eat a meal on the Sabbath. We don't fast on the Sabbath. But you want to take some of the pleasure, you take a little bit. You know, you, you take a, just just the tip, just you know, just a reminder <laughs> that you know, um, as good as it gets, you know, I don't have to go all in. I can. Uh huh. Um, that's that's one. There are many many reasons. I mean, there's spiritual lessons upon that as but well. But why not take a finger or something? You know, so you have less touch. I uh, if you if you want, we could do a second podcast where I will <laughs> I could research all this. Okay. Um, and give you more, you know, research to yeah. I was just wondering because, you know, if you're going to have a kid, I think a lot of uh, people go through that. Jewish people go through that. Like, do I want to do that to my son? I mean, listen, I I have four sons um, Mm -hmm. and one uh, we have a baby daughter now. We had uh, four boys. Obviously, we uh, we we circumcise them all. Yeah. To me, that was that was never a a question in my mind. You know, to to not do. But yeah, listen, anytime you're dealing with knives and whatever it is, the the circumcision itself is very fast, very quick. very rare to have any kind of complications. I mean, you go to the dentist, there are potential complications of the dentist as well. But yeah. I mean, generally speaking, we had we had a, a, a moyo, we had a, an expert circumciser who really was an expert. Um, <laughs> uh, but that said, to me, it's a, a question of kind of Jewish identity. Mm-hmm. And to a certain degree, you're kind of saying that even my my physical body is, you know, is Jewish. I'm, I'm leaving a marking on myself that come what may, I'll always you know, have this, you know, this sign of my Jewishness that, that, that it's, it's really is part of me. It really is indelible. In the or flesh. used to be part of you. Yes. Or, or I mean, but that changed. You, you, <laughs> right. you affected a change in your body and you're saying that, you know, no matter what happens, I can't hide it. I mean, there are, I, I don't like to go to the Holocaust uh, as some rabbis do, but you know, there are stories about people that, um, mm-hmm. you know, had to, uh, hide the fact they were Jewish and guess what? You know, if somebody pants to you, they could, they could find out in 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 you know interwar Pol- uh, Poland whatever it was it was very clear who was Jewish who was not. They were pansy. Was that um, the term? The, no, I don't think that was a technical term. I, I'm <laughs> I that. like that. It's a... um, but you know that idea. That it, it's it's something that you can't hide. It's something that's in you, and that ultimately, for me, you know, no matter what happens, I'll, let me put it this way: there is a. I really didn't expect this when we, um, yeah. but uh, there's a story keeping with, you on your toes. Yes, <laughs> um, with King David. Um, so. It says King David went went to immerse himself in the mikvah. Mikvah is this body of water that's used um, to purify yourself. In general, just a, a, a practical note: um, the, the Bible and, and Judaism speaks a lot about purity, impurity. Those are not cleanliness and lack of cleanliness. Mm-hmm. You know, they're two spiritual states. Um, one called uh, tuma, the other called tahara, which are often translated as impurity, impurity. Um, the to say that it's impure and when you say in English something is impure or something is pure we picture you know white and clean and whatever it is mm-hmm. and impure it's dirty it's dragged through the mud they're not the same thing okay because um, other religions do circumcision indeed yeah I mean the other Abrahamic religions as it were I mean Islam is you know probably the largest number of people circumcised in the world are, are Muslim, you know. Um, right. Uh, so that, that's also from the, from the Bible. It's not for it, cleanliness. No, exactly. For not cleanliness or infection or anything okay. like that. But the, the story with uh, going back to King David, so he went to immerse himself in the mikvah in this body of water. And he said, you know, I, I normally I have so many commandments around me. I have a yamulk on my head. I have tzitzis, you know, this kind of this prayer shawl with fringes on it. I have these tefillin, these, these, you know, these boxes I do. I'm always surrounding myself with commandments. I'm studying, you know, I'm praying. But right now I'm about to go into 
the water, and I have no connection to God. Where's, where's all these beautiful commandments I had around me? And then you realize, no, there is one commandment which is really indelible in the flesh in me. The 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 brismila, the you know the 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 fact that you're circumcised showed that there was this you know connection that no matter what happened was there. Right. Okay. You know a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so to become a rabbi, what 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 does that entail? I mean, obviously, you have to know the Bible inside and out. Um, you have to uh, climb with an older rabbi on your back and do sw- you know, swing from vines and uh, fourteen cartwheels. Exactly. Uh, no, it, it's essentially to be a rabbi today is you have to have the backbone in um, Talmudic um, literature, meaning that uh, that's kind of the, the studies that you need to have before you begin to study to be a rabbi. The Talmud is this massive collection of Jewish wisdom compiled um, around you know four thousand or so CE, you know, in, in the Common Era. Do you read it in... Uh, 400, I mean, I should say. Do you read it in Hebrew? Um, the, the Talmud is written in Aramaic and Hebrew. It's a mix. Okay. So it's, it's the same script, the same Hebrew letters that, you know, um, many people would be familiar with, but they're two different languages that are kind of mixed together to form, you know, sometimes you'll have passages that are pure Hebrew, sometimes it'll be pure Aramaic, sometimes it's kind of a combination of and the two. And you're fluent in both? Um, well, Aramaic, I can't speak Aramaic. I can read it. It's, you know, like you if someone it. says, you know, they speak, they can read Latin. Most people don't speak it. Uh-huh, and it's right. not a spoken language. But I can, I can study most passages in the Talmud. And there are commentaries. Sometimes it has a very, you know, a very, you know, obscure Aramaic word. So then there'll be commentaries on the side that give context. And other things, sometimes they'll also translate into Hebrew or, or into, you know, medieval French, because that's useful. Um, oh, do you speak French as well? I don't speak French. No, I speak Yiddish. But the, the, there were... Um, one of the great Talmudic and also biblical comment, uh, commentaries is, was written by someone called Rashi, Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchaki. He was, this, you know, a, a winemaker who lived in 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 Troy, France, and so he um, he has a commentary every now and then. He says, "Oh, you want to know what this word in Aramaic means? It's this word in French." Uh-huh, like, right. uh, so I have to you know you have to find what the what the English translation is that or the the modern Hebrew translation or something. So it was a lot of schooling, a lot of books. Right. So that's that's all the, the study leading up to it. To actually become a rabbi, you um, it, it's what you're doing is you're sh- showing that you have become an expert in certain parts of Jewish law. Mm-hmm. Um, the core of the study is the laws of kashrut of what's kosher, what's not kosher. You know, say you're making a big you know chili. Um, you know, all kinds of meat in there, and a little bit of milk comes in. Now, uh, in Judaism, we don't believe that uh, milk and meat should be mixed together. Uh, different conver- conversation about that. But yeah. um, in any event, so this little bit of milk comes in. Is it kosher? Is it not? You know, it's just a drop. You know, surely it's not a big deal. So what is the measurement? So their measurements, this is just a very simple case. You know, in that case in time, you'd say it's a one in 60 measurement. That if the drop of milk that fell in, ipso facto, after the fact that it fell in, so we're going to say if it is one sixtieth, less than one sixtieth of the whole pot, so then it's considered to become nullified and it's completely lost its, its, its taste and its substance and therefore the chili is still kosher. So that is like a one sixtieth of the whole pot of the of of the, of the food, I should say, not the right. pot itself. Okay, of the food. Yes, yeah, so the serving. Pot, right. Um, the, p- please don't uh, take any conversation here as final rabbinic sayings. Uh, <laughs> if you have any questions, you can uh, find your local competent uh, rabbi and, and ask <laughs> him all the questions you want. Okay. Um, but there's the disclaimer. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, please. This is all, uh, it's a comedy podcast, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> um, so I mean, but that idea that. Um, a 
so that, that's one of the things you study. So you study, you know, the laws of kosher, the laws of, you know, Shabbat, the Sabbath, mm-hmm. um, various other things like that. And ultimately you're tested with a group of people um, if you have what it takes to be America's next top rabbi. You know? <laughs> and you became America's next top rabbi. I saw on your bio you also studied in Poland and... Yeah, so... Uh, um, Within Lithuania, Lithuania, um, I, I believe I've been to twenty six countries. I have to oh wow um, double check the uh, so I'm, I'm a member of the Chabad. I can see why you want to go to Mars now. Yeah, it's exactly, like no, it's, Earth, whatever. Yeah, but countries are boring. <laughs> it's, if it's not a planet, you know, forget about it. Um, um, so I am uh, a member of the, the Chabad movement, which is this Hasidic group, and uh, there are Chabad emissaries all over the world in mm-hmm. um, you know something like over hundred countries. Uh, you know, all around the world, including Iceland um, mm-hmm. and, you know, the Congo and all kinds of other places. So almost every country. Um, basically, yeah. I mean, there are a couple of countries that are not too friendly to having rabbis yet. You know, maybe one day that'll change. Right. Um, but in the meantime, there are these... Uh, so uh, when you're a rabbinical student, you're studying. So, you know, what do you do for downtime? You you help other people. Because mm-hmm. you know, it's not enough to help yourself. You have to... You have to really be a mensch. You have to really be a, a person that lives your your calling and your beliefs. So we we go to other you know communities around the world. Some of them have existing you know synagogues with the, you know a, a full time Jewish presence. So what are you doing to help them? Um, so there are the the core. We're, we're not missionaries in the sense that we're trying to make other people Jewish. Right. Um, that's not a, a Jewish belief. Yeah. Um, but we do like to do is we do believe that if somebody for lack of education or access or something like that can't connect to Judaism, we like to make that available to go and say, you know, um, so an example, when I was in Poland, so Poland, obviously for, for a very long time, Poland was actually not a bad place to be a Jew. You know, for the first thousand years, it was, it was pretty decent in Poland. Um, mm-hmm. you had a lot of Jewish communities, a lot of Jewish presence. Um, it got pretty bad the last century as we're well aware with, you know, the Holocaust and communism. I mean, the Jewish community was decimated. Even, even before the Nazis rose, there was this anti-Semitism kind of brewing. Yeah, I mean, to be clear, it, it was never rosy to be Jews. There were always pogroms. There were always issues um, in Eastern Europe, for sure. Right. Um, but, uh, I mean... At the same time, historically, you, you know, if you go back 500 years in Poland, so the Jewish communities, despite the pogroms and the anti-Semitism and things like that, the Jewish communities had autonomy. They were able to actually, you know, function in a fuller sense and and really create full-fledged Jewish communities. Um, that was all destroyed during the Holocaust. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, you know, um, and and uh, then when the, the Soviets came in, kind of took over Poland. So any hope of rebuilding any type of Jewish infrastructure was just killed um, as well. So when I was in Poland in 2006, so there was a small Jewish community in Warsaw. Um, it was a historic synagogue that's still functioning there. There are a number of you know of uh, business uh, people that moved there, both from Israel and from Georgia, the country, not the state. A lot of uh, right. Georgian Jews moved to to Poland. Uh, and so there was this small Jewish community there. And so we went to help the rabbi who was, you know, going to, who was opening up his, uh, uh, his Chabad center there to help him kind of set it up and, and, and expand activities. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we were there, so that Warsaw, you know, has always had, uh, you know, a, a Jewish presence, even if it wasn't great, there was a synagogue that was functioning, functioning. You had other communities that really had very, very little going on. There were Jews there who stayed there after the war, but, you know, it was, you know, you're talking about, you know, 10, at this point, it was, you know, 10 old people and a couple of kids. 
and they're not really, you know, what does it mean to be Jewish? I just know it means that right. people, you know, say dirty Jew. And, you know, so yeah. we go there and we, you make a, a Sabbath meal and you invite everyone over, you know. N- Non-Jews too. Um, so it, we don't specifically target non-Jews, but mm. obviously if you're making a meal, people come, you know, what's what's unique about Judaism is Judaism doesn't believe that you have to be Jewish to be a good person. You know, surprisingly, you know, everyone right. can be good. Everyone has a, a critical role to play in this world yeah. in making this a godly good uh, world, a good world, a place where we're good to each other. So from the Jewish point of view, um, what we want to say is that, you know, if you're Jewish, you know, please explore Judaism with us, you know, and experience and, you know, and, and, and grow as a Jew, you know, grapple and find out your Jewish identity. And if you're not Jewish, there's something called the seven Noahide laws, which are these kind of broader ethical rules, um, which you could find on, on Chabad.org. There's a lot written about them mm-hmm. there. Yeah. This idea that, you know, if you're not Jewish, you know, you're awesome also. And, you know, let's work together to, you know, make this a, a holy world and a good world. And so, the, you know, I'm not, when I went there, I wasn't spe- specifically trying to target the local Poles. I mean, there's a there, to be a a, a a Catholic Pole is not very hard in Poland. Yeah, um, <laughs> there's, but, there's plenty of them. Yes, exactly. But at the same time, people came, you know, for sure. You know, you know, there were a lot of people curious. In Poland, people used to come to us all the time on the street. Mm-hmm. Just say, oh, you're Jewish. You know, my grandmother was Jewish, which would, you know, could make them Jewish, actually, in Jewish law. Or, you know, I have, you know, my best friend was Jewish. Or, you know, people are always discovering their, you know, hidden Jewish relatives around us. We walked down the street and they would just come over. People come over to curse at us as well. Yeah, was, you, I was going to ask you: Have you did you experience anti-Semitism? Um, yeah, I mean, Poland, Lithuania, Ukraine—it's—it's it's everywhere. I mean, in, in Brooklyn, New York, it happens as well. You yeah. know, it's—it is a sad fact of life. I—I I, I don't like to dwell on it. I—I I, you know, I think that. Um, what does it look like? Just people yelling at you in the street or something? It depends, I guess, case by case. I'd say. Um, in Poland, people yelling Lithuania. Lithuania, they they, they want they, they used to yell at us in German um, more than Poland, which they yell us in Polish. So you know, it was in Poland it would be you know you know one thing, and then in Lithuania they would you know shout Judenraus, which is a German for you know the Nazis used to say, you know, all the Jews get out. Right, right. Um, right. You know, you kind of look at them and just say like you know like go away, like you know. I, I mean, normally they were drunk. Yeah. They were. It's a lot of for somebody to be in that state. Normally speaking, there, there's a there's some core anti-Semitism there. There's some beliefs that people are taught, which are, you know, just anti-Semitic. But also you tend to speak about people who are drunk, people who are in all kinds of other issues they're dealing with as well. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're maybe they're just looking for the most hateful word, hateful thing they could say. But sure, yeah. there's probably some anti-Semitism. Um, definitely. Anti- and I mean, then in, I mean, in New York, I've had people throw glass bottles at me, you know. It, yeah. It, it is, it's... My first year in college, I went to uh, Fitchburg, Massachusetts, just some random town near New Hampshire. And, uh, you know, I'm, my last name is Levitt. I'm Jewish uh, by birth. And uh, my, like, best friends there, they immediately they said, you're Jewish? I go, yeah, my mom's Jewish. And they put their hands on my head. You go, you don't have horns. <laughs> and they were entirely serious. They thought Jews had horns. I, I don't. Uh, my, my grandmother, my um my family, my mother's family, moved from Montreal to Los Angeles in the 60s. Uh-huh. And so my grandmother has a story when they first moved to the house in the valley, you know, the valley in the 60s in L.A. And, you know, our neighbor says, oh, you know, which church do you go to, Mrs. Dorfman? And she goes, well, actually, I go to synagogue. And she says, that's funny. You know, you don't have horns. Um, <laughs> uh, where, do you know, where did that come from? The horns? There is a, um, a sculpture of Moses coming down from Mount Sinai. So the, the Torah, the Bible says that Moses' face shone with rays of light. Uh-huh. Um, 
the word rays of light is sometimes mistranslated because in Hebrew, it's it's the literal word is horn. It means, you know, horns of light, rays of light coming from his face. But mm. someone took that way too literally. And then when they made a statue of Moses, I think Michelangelo, one of the great Renaissance um, sculptors made a statue of Moses and put horns of light coming out of his head. Uh, but then, you know, if you're a simple person, those aren't horns of light, those are horns. Right. Kind of, you know. Close to the devil. Exactly, you know, something something like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I used to, when I was in Eastern Europe, people used to ask me, you know, are you from Israel? You know, um, which is, they meant to say, no, are you a Jew? Right. And um, I I mean, I'm not hiding I'm a Jew at all, but sometimes I throw them for a loop. Like I remember I was walking in um, in Ukraine, in, in Crimea. I guess today it's Russia, but it's a whole other. Um, mm-hmm. I was walking in Crimea and um, these two girls walk up to us and say, you know, T is Israel, are you from, you know, Israel? And I say, yeah, is Gollywood, you know, I'm from Hollywood. And they go, Hollywood, you know, you're from Hollywood, can you make us famous? Right. I said, go to Hollywood, ask for Mordechai, they'll hook you up, you know. <laughs> Very nice. Good way to get out of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a guest on, it's not out yet, but uh, Boris Hyken, who is a Ukrainian Jew, he's, he came here when he was seven. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know this, but he was telling me that uh, in, when it was taken over, you know, as in Russia, he's not considered Russian. Then on their papers, on their family papers, it says Jewish. Jew, Jewish, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's an interesting thing. There was, I, I spent, you know, in, in, when I was in Lithuania, so we made a, a summer camp for mostly orphans and just kids that came from these broken homes and kind of, you know, teach them a little about Judaism, take, you know, show them, you know, some fun, take them. We used to, it was like a traveling camp. So, you know, like we went to Euro Disneyland and we go to France or Rome. It was like, you know, um, so I'd speak to these kids. And in Judaism, there's a concept of conversion that, you know, of a person, you know, you know, truly commits themselves to Judaism, and they, they, you know, they study and they, they agree to, uh, to, to complete the commandments, and you know, they immerse in a mikvah in this body of water. There's certain things a person can do that, you know, now you are a, a full Jew. You're as Jewish as Moses. You know, mm-hmm. you know, your your last name may be McCarthy, but now you're now you're a Jew. You know, and that, that's beautiful. Um, and these kids in from Lithuania, which Lithuania is is part of that whole, you know, former Soviet gestalt. Um, they couldn't get that. They're like, no, what do you mean? I, I can't become Gruzini. I can't become a Georgian. I can't become a Lithuanian. I can't become a Tatar or a Cossack. Or, you know, I, I'm a, because they view being Jewish as purely this, you know, ethnic thing that could not be changed. Right. And what's fascinating about Judaism and, and that kind of Jewish experience is we're kind of both. You know, I mean, we, we have, mm-hmm. you know, there, there is something that is passed down. There is this idea that if your mother's Jewish, you're Jewish. Even if you're, you know, dressed up like Santa Claus eating, you know, bacon on Yom Kippur, you're still Jewish. Right. Um, why, why is Judaism considered uh, an ethnicity as well as a religion? Um, why? I mean, I'm not going to get into the whole questions of being Jewish as a race or not a race, but there is this concept that, that uh, um, Judaism is something passed down through birth and when a jewish lady has a child that child is is jewish and in Mm -hmm. that sense there is an aspect of that jewish experience which is passed down and therefore akin to ethnicity Mm -hmm. um but but the catholics don't have that right exactly um i mean why why don't catholics have that i I can't you have to ask you know bring on a catholic (laughs) priest and i'm I'm sure um uh, you don't do both i I don't do both no it's it's, uh, i i stick to my uh, I, one of the things they taught us at, at TED was that this idea that, um, you know, you have something, you're going you're gonna to give a talk and you're going to feel like, okay, I want to move on to something else now. No, own it. You know, this is your, you know, you can be an expert on something and people will ask you to speak about it again and again and again. Um, and even though, you know, you could do all kinds of other things, you know, if you really, you know, dig down and explore the nuances of this topic, then you could, you know, really build something out of it. Right. Um, 
So, in, yeah, I, I stick to Judaism because that's kind of what I try to know best. I do not know that best, but, you know, I try to yes. really make that my, you know, my thing. Yeah, you do, you do seem to know a lot about it, even though we do accept your disclaimer as not the official authority. Right, indeed. But uh, so that reminds the TED residency. It's almost like you're learning to tell a story. Is it almost like a like a long class in the art of storytelling? That's a good question. I mean, I didn't... It was... It was, residency was interesting. I mean, I, I, you. How you, long is it? It is three months. So it's um, we started in September. We started on like the day after Yom Kippur, and we ended uh, the the middle of Hanukkah. So and what is it? What does it look like? Is it months. classes? Are you meeting one on one with someone? So it's a um, it's a co working space in a certain sense that you're in the TED office, and there's a, a corner of the TED office that's set aside for the residents, and you're all there. And you pursue your individual projects, and I, you know, I had my normal, my normal day job, my normal night job, my normal, you know, everything besides my family. I was able to do there. Uh -huh. um, so you know, all the so I, I was in that sense, you know, um, it was a co-working space, and you have, you know, a, a cohort of really brilliant people, people you know, who, like I'm in awe of all the people there, and I felt lucky to be able to be somehow included with them. Um, so you're around some amazing people, yeah, really some amazing people, um, and it's really being able to hear you know the diverse experiences and knowledge and whatever it is and you have this almost a brain trust of people that you know if, you know i said you know i'm looking for an astronaut and someone's like i you know i could i know an astronaut and mm -hmm. that type of thing um and so you have access to that and there's a whole you know group of you know previous uh, cohorts that came together so now there's you know whole ted you know family so to speak of, of people that you can really tap into if you're looking for things like that um then in addition uh there are they bring in they have their own speakers that come in and teach you how to deliver a, a talk in the TED style, how to work on it. And over the course of the residency, you craft the TED talk. Um, some people, I came in with an idea, some people didn't, but you know, you, you, you basically find an idea, work on it, develop it and create a talk out of it. And they show you how to edit it, how to deliver it, you know, what makes a talk compelling. And you know, you kind of work on the talk and they teach you that, that TED methodology as it were. How do you become a TED resident? Did you pitch them a theme or topic? Um, so yeah, I mean, it's an application that, uh, that goes out uh, twice a year in the, um, I guess the summer for the, the fall residency and then the winter for the spring residency. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was, you know, a couple essays and, you know, a, a little video on an interview and. So you have to have uh, something that you, uh, either want to talk about or want to be an expert in. Right. Exactly. You know, something that, you, that it's, Ted is all about ideas worth sharing. So, you know, mm -hmm. you know, I have an idea that I think is worth sharing. Come listen to me, you know, and that's. The, the, the way you apply, basically, you know. Right. So, do you have to have an elevator pitch for them? Um, yeah, I mean, definitely they had. Um, I'm trying to remember now because uh, all the different things in the application, but there were various essays you had to answer, kind of exploring, you know, your life experience, things like that. Um, there were video kind of giving a feel for who you are and what you, you know, want to do. And then there was, you know, a, a Skype interview where we, you know, they kind of, you know, asked me some questions uh, akin to a podcast, but, you know, without the fancy mic. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, we spoke you know, for a little while online. And you're speaking to the ominous Ted behind the curtain? Yes, indeed. You're looking for for, for, for Ted, you know, and everybody's a nice guy. And yeah. So uh, it lasted a bunch of weeks, and you they helped you form your whole kind of thesis, would you call it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it is a talk. It is a talk you have to deliver. Mm -hmm. And so, you and know. And you have to deliver it live in front of people. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, you have to get up there. You have to, I mean, you don't have to have it memorized. It's highly recommended that you memorize it. Are there it. teleprompters? No teleprompters allowed. Um, if you were stuck, you could have like a note card or, you know, in some cases, maybe, you know, a couple notes, you know, on a ring or something to be able to flip through them. Mm -hmm. Uh you can uh, use a kind of PowerPoint display if you um, need. You could have behind you in terms of not 
you know, not to read off of it yourself because that's not really engaging if someone's sitting there and reading, you know, for my summer vacation, I went to Italy. You know? Right, right. <laughs> uh, but, you know, if, but definitely to show, you know, pictures, videos, you know, various things like that. I, for my particular talk, I didn't have a, a background thing. I guess as a rabbi, I'm kind of used to like speaking on the Sabbath and Shabbat when there, there are no screens. Mm-hmm. So I'm not really used to clicking away, but. Uh, and are you used to public speaking? Um, somewhat, yeah. I mean, to me, the the challenge is less speaking publicly. Like I've, we go to South by Southwest every year. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife and I for Tech Tribe for our organization, and um, we make this um, big Shabbat meal. It's a communal meal uh, called Open Shabbat. It's you know um, in the heart of South by Southwest, which has the the film and the the music and the tech and you know comedy as well now, yep. and it all kind of comes together. So we you know get three hundred people to come for a meal um, that we essentially cater ourselves and and, and run. And so, yeah, I'm speaking to a crowd of 300 people there. But, you know, it's, it's a different experience when you know, I, um, I can kind of, you know, speak off the cuff and just I have a, I prepare and I have ideas I want to share. But, you know, as opposed to the TED Talk where every word and comma, they kind of went over and made sure that I did it in that perfect way. So then you really want to deliver it. That was was nerve-wracking for me for the TED experience was less the, oh, there are people in front of me. I didn't have to picture anyone in their underwear. Was, right, right. <laughs> um, but I did uh, uh, want to make sure that one second, if I made sure to use this specific word, I don't want to use some other word just because that's what came to me naturally. I want to stick to the word that I... It, it was all, they helped you very much craft it. Yeah. But you still want to deliver it like it's natural. Exactly. And yeah. engaging. Exactly. Not like overly rehearsed and stale. All right. Yeah. It's, I mean, I guess if, if it's... A, if it, uh, my my sense with these things um, is that if it's something that you're passionate about, mm-hmm. and you speak from a point of passion, even if it's you're you're reading a script, but if if you live it and and it means something to you, then it's gonna that's gonna bounce off the page. That's gonna come off, and people are gonna get that. Yeah, uh, you know, if you're just saying something because you got to say it, then I think you know, even if you're you know not reading a script, it's gonna sound scripted and false because it's not you. You know, if you share yourself and who you are. And, you know, there's a Talmudic saying, words from the heart enter the heart. So, you know, if these words are coming out of my heart, then hopefully they'll enter the hearts of the people listening as well. Yeah, it's the same with uh, stand-up comedy. If there's something that you end up talking to someone about a lot, there's probably material there to mind because you're passionate about it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, did it go well? I hope so. Yeah, I mean, you have to you have to see it online, but the uh-huh. delivery I, I didn't I didn't fall on my face. Um, good. You know, I didn't uh, get too lost. And yeah, it was good. It was. Do you just get one shot, or do you get a couple and they edit it together? Um, yeah, I mean, they 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 definitely they, they do edit. They take out you know kind of any little gaffes and pauses and things like that to make it really clean and and, and sing and tight. So, yeah. yeah, but it's just one one talk. Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's no, I mean, maybe if you really messed up, I thank God was able to go through. So I didn't, you know. Okay, so you just did one talk after all, after all the weeks. This you, is it. You, you, that's it. Yeah. You just go on stage and this is your one chance. Yeah. What is it, like three cameras at you? Um, I think it's three. Yeah, I didn't, you know, so I'd, when I was up there, the lights alone, I, I didn't see any cameras, you know. Were you was, able to see the audience? Um, yeah, I was able to see the, uh, the audience. There were some people, you know, well, my, 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 one of my tricks for public speaking is you look for, you look for the engaged listeners you know if you have the guy that's nodding his head or you know a familiar face or something like that i speak to them and so it's you know okay you know here are three people my family was there so okay there's my wife there's my mother you know there's my friend and then we go back and forth and i'm speaking to them you know seated right. off you know mid-range somewhere and that's, do you ever see so because I, I i used to do this in stand-up comedy i'd see the one person in the audience that wasn't liking my my comedy and i just like focus on them and try to flip them and get them on my side and that is not a good tactic because yeah. you're not going to win everyone over all the time. Yeah, I mean, I kind of go into like a zone when I like when I'm really speaking. It's mm. you know, I mean, so I there's a little bit of that kind of you know that tunnel vision. And I'm like you know, 
I'm focusing on the people I want to focus on and I'm, I'm speaking and, you know, the wider audience, I don't, you know. Right. But yeah, that's a good tactic to focus on one person, especially if there's someone that you're comfortable talking with. You just kind of, it just, you just relax. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's, yeah. And then, then, then you're just having a conversation. I mean, yeah, you know, there's, you know, three, you know, uh, you know, super HD cameras pointed at you and a bunch of lights and, you and know, they're moving cameras, and moving right? cameras. Yeah. And all this stuff going on. And the, but, you know, and you're wearing a mic and you're, you know, fancy suit, but you, you know, and you're just having a conversation with, you know, a couple people, a couple, a couple old friends or new friends. You're, you're, right. You're schmoozing. Did your wife go? Yeah. My wife went, uh, my wife, my, uh, yeah. And my, my mother and some friends and it was, were you was able just, to find them in the audience? Yeah. They said they set up close enough. Okay. Was, good. Were they one of the people you just kind of looked at and helped relax? Um, yeah. I did, yeah. That's good, yeah. So you're comfortable public speaking. Do you speak in a synagogue? Uh, so I don't have a, a synagogue. I'm a rabbi without a pulpit. You know, there's a rabbi without a cause. I'm uh-huh. a rabbi without a pulpit. How do you get a pulpit? Um, how do you get a pulpit? Um, I guess you, you apply. I mean, there there are people who open up synagogues the um, and will move to places, you know, if there's no synagogue. For me, it's I, I'm kind of, I like to be the on, on the... The cutting edge of things so both in the technological sense you know if there's a social network out there you know that is my twitter is my pulpit you know um uh-huh. i want to use that to engage people and, and 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 share with them and you know inspire people and, and connect them that way and then when someone is looking for you know okay now i want to i want to go to yom kippur services so i that's not something i currently do you know i have you know uh trusted friends that you know can you do an online synagogue so from a technical point of view um the uh, Shabbat, the Sabbath, you know, the holidays, then you that wouldn't be able to be online because oh, we refrain right. from using technology then. Right. Um, even during some of the weekday stuff, there are various complications. Um, that said, you can have, you know, Jewish experiences and you can use, you know, technology to, to a lot of people have prayer books saved on their, on their, on their iPhones, you know what I mean? You're, you're flipping through an app that has all the words of the prayer book and right. that's also kind of, you could have that kind of stuff online, but no, I, I wouldn't have like a, a true online synagogue in the sense that, you know, and please rise and, you know, and whatever it is that, 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 yeah. that wouldn't happen. But you can give a, a, I don't know, would you call it a sermon? You can give a sermon on a Thursday night yeah. and then say good night and then. So I um on 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 Snapchat and Inst- on and on Instagram stories I try and share a Jewish thought of the day. So my uh-huh. my sermons are ten seconds long, which is <laughs> I think people appreciate. Right, but I guess if it was a vi- big video conference, you can kind of see people and interact. Yeah, I mean there are people who live stream classes all the time in terms of you know let's study something together, let's you know, or maybe there'll be an event where there are prayers taking place uh, during the weekday, not on the Sabbath, but you know a menorah lighting during you know. Um, the week when it's perfectly permitted, permissible to use technology that could be you know live streamed and is live streamed you know to people all over the world for them to have a chance to kind of see and you right. know yeah. are you in the queue to take over uh, someone's uh, bullpit here no it's, I'm not, <laughs> not looking for that I, I um, you don't want that I, no I, I mean I, I never say never mm-hmm. but I, I try and focus on creating kind of immediate experiences for people um, and the type of person that may not be comfortable in a synagogue is the type of person I want to connect to. Not because I want to change them. You know, I'm not out looking saying, you know, I want you to look like me. If you look at me, you know, I'm doing something wrong. Uh-huh. You should look like you. Um, right. <laughs> but, but what I do want to do is I do want to say, you know, I'm, you know, I'm crazy about Judaism in a good sense. You know, I mean, I, yeah. I, this is something that means a lot to me. And these rituals and traditions, and you know, this is this is intense stuff. Can I share that with you? You know, let's, you know, let, let me invite you for a Shabbat meal, a Friday night meal. And, you know, we have l'chaim, we have, you know, some scotch and, and beer and, and chicken soup and, and challah and, you know, all the good stuff. And um, do you encourage questions and Yeah, I encourage questions dialogue. all the time. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, um, 
Judaism is, I'm not going to say Judaism is all about questions. People like to say that it, it, there's a lot more to Judaism than questions. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the, the Talmud is, you know, the f f foundational Jewish text. And it's all about, you know, I see this says here, one thing, it says something else somewhere, uh, something else somewhere else. And is there a contradiction? And how do we bring the two of them together? And right. asking questions is a mean, is a way to explore yeah. and a way to delve deeper. Right. Because I imagine you encounter people in your, in the community that start to question their faith at times. Maybe something happens, something tragic, or just something goes wrong, for, and they're just like, why is God doing this to me? Yeah, I mean, within the, the Hasidic tradition, there's a, um, a unique tradition of having a bit of an, uh, having it out with God, as it were. Um, there were certain rabbis... Having it out with God? Yeah, I mean, yeah uh -huh. they, they used to get up there and say, like, you know, God, why, why are you doing this? You know, what's, right. you know, what's going on? I mean, there, there's a, it's a, a, I think it's a beautiful story there. Um, was this, you know, there were these two famous rabbis. Um, uh, they were brothers. One was named Rabbi Melech of Lezhensk. Um, Lezhensk is a town in Poland. The other was named Rabzusha of Anapoli. Uh, Anapoli used to be in Poland, now it's in Ukraine. Kind of the border switched between the two, their, their two towns. Right. Um, but these two brothers, Eli Melech and Zusha, um, were famous and used to go around and travel. And, you know, they're, they're well, well known uh, kind of within, the, with Jewish, within Jewish lore. Um, and there was this third brother, and everyone's like, "Who's the you know who's the fifth beetle? Who's the you know <laughs> who's the third brother?" Um, yeah. And so they were uh, some some a group of chassidim, you know, said, "Let's find this this third brother," and they go out, and he's this you know looks like a really simple Jew. He's a bartender, you know, he owns an, an inn, um, not like you know a, a bar in the modern sense, but he had an inn. People slept on the top floor, and on the bottom floor there was a kitchen that served you know you know vodka and and uh, you know beer and some food, and mm -hmm. he was just a simple guy that was just standing behind the counter, like there's such. A, He's such a, and these two brothers are so holy. How could you know the third brother? It's like you know, what's going on over here? And they saw that throughout the day he was, um, you know, writing these notes, and they're like, you know, what's going on? So they they sneak into the notebook and they um they, they sneak in. They see you know he locks himself at the end of the um evening, locks himself in his room, and they kind of peek through, and they see he picks up two notebooks, and he says, you know, God, in this notebook, this is everything I did wrong. You know, this is, you know, I, I, I overcharged a customer. I lost my temper at my kids. I, you know, wasn't the most honest. I didn't say a truth here. These are all the things I did, uh, I did wrong. God, in this notebook over here, here's the lady who lost her husband. Here is, you know, the person whose house, you know, burnt down. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I did my things. I something. I forgive you for what you did. You forgive me. You forgive me. Let's, you know, whatever it is. But the idea that you could kind of say, God, one second, you did things that are not right. You know, that to my earthly human perception, there's something wrong here. Yeah. And that, you know, God, do better. You know, I have to do better as well. And the questions in, in, from my point of view, with my experience, the questions aren't about, you know, like, let me drop it. But it's about, you know, one second, how do you grapple with this? How do you deal with the... Well, what? how do you rationalize it yeah. if something tragic happens in your life? It's, to me, it's not about rationalizing. You can't, I mean, the worst thing to do ever as a rabbi is to come over to someone and say, oh, you know, this bad thing happened. You know, well, it's because of reason X, Y, or Z. I mean, that, you're a jerk if you do that. Okay. No, um, I mean, I'm not going to, I want to call you a jerk. But, I'm saying, but generally speaking, you know, when someone is going through tragedy, that's real. That's a human moment. And you just give the space for that person to, you know, experience what's going on there and just be there for their needs. And, and that's it. You know what I mean? That's, you know, you don't say, you know, why something happened. You say right now, let the people, part of the mourning process, you'll be angry, you get upset, you're sad, you're depressed. You know, you go through all these stages of grief, you know, whatever they are. Yep. And you're, you're there for the person to support them whatever way they need. Um, but the, the questions to me are ultimately there's a point in time when you're dealing with, a, with God who is not a human being not within the human plane so god sometimes does things that don't make sense and you kind of have to say to god listen you you are this i'm you know all-powerful essence primordial you know thing that's before anything existed and you know completely infinite whatever it is and you do things you have your reasons for doing things but cut us a break here down here and 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 have it make sense and you know you know yeah i'll try and do better i'll try and be a better person in my sense but you have to god i'm holding you responsible to do better on your end as well and it's that, that dialogue Okay, so it's not like God is a perfect entity. God is, God, from, from a Hasidic point of view, no, God is perfect. I mean, in God, there is a, some sort of reason in God's not human, you know, mindset, you know, infinite, you know, God-like look at the world, uh-huh. that this all comes together and has a reason why it happened. So there's a reason why something tragic would happen. But it's not a reason that fits in my mind, and therefore I have to say, God... No, you have to make you, 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 you I, no one can give a reason. I, I mean, when horrible tragedies, you know, befall us, right? On one hand, you know, it's, you can't give us a, a pat reason why something awful happens, why, you know, the Holocaust happened, why people, awful things happen. I mean, you can't rationalize that. You right. can't look at that and say, you know, this is, um, you know, the, it happened because of reason X, Y, or Z. This is something huge, you know. This is something that, you know, that is beyond my human nature to comprehend. Yeah. And that's, you know, and on one hand, I get that. I get that I can't comprehend the enormity of the situation that I'm looking at here. No one can, you know. Is, is God in control of the universe? Is it God in, yeah, for sure. He is. Okay, so if God is in control of the universe, then obviously why would there be a mass genocide? Well, there's two things here. There, there is an inherent paradox within the world within you know kind of the way you know we see things then on one hand you have um free will that we actually do you know within the jewish rubric we believe that everyone has free will and you have the choice mm. to choose between good and evil and therefore when i do something bad god didn't make me do it i chose to do something bad when when people went and you know and uh people commit genocide the people committing that genocide they are doing wicked horrible awful heinous crepid you know things yeah um, and they're choosing to do that. You know, I mean, they're all kind of, you know, maybe you can look at an individual case and say, well, this person was a child soldier. I know what I'm saying. Ultimately, you're looking at someone chose to do something bad, and that is awful, and that is a human choice, and that person chose to corrupt the purpose of the world, which is to make this a, a place of goodness, right. and, you know, whatever it is, and to pervert it and destroy it. And that's a human choice, and that's, that's wrong. 
at the same time, you know, and you have to kind of embrace the mystery here, that um, there's also this idea that God still knows everything that's going to happen before it happens. Right, so why wouldn't he just like throw Hitler in front of a bus? I can't, you know, if, if, I, if, I, if, I, if I had the answer, I would be God, so to speak. Right. I mean, I don't think, I mean, I don't think anyone could give a good reason, even if you just say everything is by chance, right? Mm-hmm. So you can't still, you know, you can, oh, so six million people die by chance, that's it done. To me, that's just as illogical as well. Ultimately, you're dealing with something that is the, the enormity of the evil that, that, that has taken place, you know, in this world. And the Holocaust is just one example, you know, bad things happen all the time. Um, but, you know, it's, it's the, as Jews, it's, it's the, maybe the easiest one and the most cliched one, but whatever, right. you know, but well, it's it, the biggest one, the biggest one for yeah. sure. I mean, and you look at it and it's, you know, you can't give a reason for that. You can't give a reason why so many people, children, I mean, there is no reason for that. At, you know, you have people who made bad decisions mm-hmm. and you have a world that often doesn't make sense and that, you know, we have to look at what happened and use it to spur us to do good things in this world and say that if all this darkness came to the world through people who set their minds to destruction and death and murder, then how can I now be a source of light? How can I see the negativity that exists in this world mm-hmm. and turn it on its face and say, you know, I mean, the reality is the power of good, I truly believe, is, is that much greater than the power of evil. Evil can be horrible. You know, it's, it's I mean, you look at the atom, right? You could split an atom, and this kind of goes back to technology as well. Yeah. You could split an atom, you could make an atom bomb, and you could destroy an entire city in the blink of an eye. Right. You know, you could also take an atom, and you can create nuclear power, and you can give light to an entire, you know, air, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And that's, an, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. Right. We have this power. We have this choice that lies in our hands to do good or to do evil and on many levels, you know, on not just on this huge, you know, cosmic level. I mean, within our own lives, you know. I mean, uh, I'm I'm online. I'm tweeting. Yeah. Am I going to be a schmuck to the person over there and just look at the guy and just be a complete jerk and troll him because I can do that and it's my ability? Or am I going to say no? I want to use this as a chance to share something good to see someone I haven't spoken to a while and say, you know, hey Gary, what's up? You know, how are you doing? Right. You know, it's, uh, you know, you're awesome and you make me laugh and you know you bring a smile to so many faces and yeah. that's so cool. You know, and yeah. that choice is yours and it's. You know, but, but we're seeing we're seeing a rise of populism not only in this country, the United States, but in Europe as well. There's a lot of far right uh, groups, a lot of author- authoritarianism is happening. It's more on the rise now. Mm-hmm. Are you experiencing more anti-Semitism than you were maybe 20 years ago? So I mean, I everything needs to be put in within a certain context. Online, the anti-Semitism from the far right definitely is. Up in my in my personal experience, you know, as well, it's, you know, it's up. It is. Um, and, and, and is it since Trump took over president? I think, but the, there's anti. For example, this is something interesting. So if you look at New York City, so New York City, there was a there's was an increase this year and an increase last year of um, of hate crimes in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, the majority of them being against Jews. So there was an increase of hate crimes against Jews in New York. Most were uh, definitely a, a a large plurality, if not the majority were experienced by Hasidic Jews. There were a number of instances in this neighborhood. Yeah. Um, there was, you know, a guy walking and some guy ran up to him and screamed, you know, you're a fake Jew and I'm going to kill you. And he strangled him and punched him in the face and some other, you know, some good Samaritans had to run in and, you know, break him off. And I so mean, they, they, they caught the person? They caught the person, yeah. They, they, um, he was from the Bronx, which was like, I don't know what he was doing in, in Crown Heights. Yeah. Um, and that happened back in, I want to say, May or something like that. Um, but there were a number of cases um, that have happened here. I mean, 
all around the country. All are. around the country for sure. So I'm saying yeah. on, a, on a local level, in terms of what I experienced right. and stuff, uh, that those hate crimes are not coming from Trump uh, voters. I mean, Brooklyn is overall, you know, it's a democratic place. Yep. You're dealing with people that are anti-Semitism comes from all over. You know, it's it, it's in the far right. It's in the far left, whatever you want to call it. It's it's just it's just something that's that's sick and nasty. That's in the hearts of all kinds of people. You know, it, are you seeing a link between uh, the national dialogue and that? Because, like, you know, with the whole Charlottesville thing, well, there's good people, on the, you know, the Nazis marching in Charlottesville and Trump wouldn't denounce them. It's almost like a dog whistle for anti-Semites to kind of come out and say, oh, maybe it's okay to show our faces now. So, um... Whether they voted for Trump or not. I think they're... I think they're... Hate fills a vacuum so to speak mm-hmm. um, and when there's a chance an opening for it to come in so it'll take uh, root and it'll start expressing itself and we're seeing a time right now where I think the national discourse is definitely creating that it's giving a space for people that otherwise might have been relegated to you know the more fringe parts of the internet are now breaking over into the they're, they're, they're taking advantage of the um, of the, the everyone's attention spans right now to kind of direct it there um, and, and really you know take advantage of that for sure um yeah i mean that's that's mm-hmm. you know it's awful yeah yeah uh do you do you get involved in politics as an organization uh no i mean in, in that sense not, uh we're nonpartisan, and um i mean i actually we, tech tribe when we created a 501c3 so you know as a as a as synagogue technically you're not allowed to be political you're in, um in right. that sense but personally you can well, I mean, yeah, I could vote, you know, and I, uh, <laughs> which I do do. Um, Good, <laughs> but you know, in, in in that sense, to me, my argument has always been because, and this has been always, you know, it was, you know, a couple of years ago, it's, you know, can you can't believe, can you believe that, you know, uh, the Obama said this, and now it's can you believe Trump said that, you know, and it's I don't, I have my own political points of view. Yeah. I tell people, you know, why aren't you denouncing this? Why are you denouncing that? Why aren't you getting involved with this thing or that thing? And I say. I'm here to teach you about Judaism, to teach mm-hmm. you about goodness and making this world a better place. Do you believe your political point of view is good? The person's normally going to say, yeah. So right. then let me teach goodness. And then the person will come to the conclusions you want, you know, no matter what. If I can inspire someone to help someone, to, you know, talk to their neighbors, to, you know, create a dialogue and understand and and volunteer and do good things and give charity. You're focused on the social aspect. Right, exactly. But the political uh, very much informs the social as well. I mean, I, I see the socials informing the political, I think. That mm. If, if um, there are people, listen, there are people who are, they make politics their thing and more mm-hmm. power to them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm, I just feel that my, I, I, I mean, I look at their issues that come up all the time and I look at whatever issues, on, you know, in the, you know, in the zeitgeist right now and I say, how can I best contribute from where I'm good at, from where I know I'll make an impact and where I know I'll be able to make a change. Right. Uh, and if I see right now, you know, if I could, you know, teach people to be nicer to each other online in a real sense, not in this big, you know, preachy, whatever it is, but, right. you know, to have a conversation about how can I be a better person? How can I live it, up to the it values? It transcends the political. Exa- exactly. In that point in time. So then that will inform the political. I mean, it's, right. it's kind of the, the snake that eats its tail at all. Right. If everyone's back. a good person, an altruistic person. I mean, even if everyone is not, even if just one person, if one person does something good, that creates a, a ripple effect. That creates a chain reaction. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If you, you know, you, if somebody's nasty to you online the the odds are you're gonna be nasty to someone else you know if you're stressed and miserable about something in your personal life you're not gonna be so friendly to the person that you're waiting in line you know for a cup of coffee for you know i mean right these things have negative things and positive things both go far beyond us when we experience them so if if you're doing good things you're you're sharing with other people that that goes way beyond just 
that limited interaction. Absolutely, yeah. There, there is a cultural shift that's happening amongst Jews that I've noticed in the past, maybe over the past 20, 30 years, where traditionally Jews have been Democrat, right? And always very much in touch with the refugee, the, the person that was kind of like shat on, mm-hmm. you know? And there's something different now that's happening. I'm seeing a lot more uh, Jews being Republicans and anti-refugee. Have they just lost sight of where they were in the 40s? That's, I mean, you'd have to ask them. Um, mm-hmm. From, I mean, most of the Jews I speak to are like anarchist socialists just because uh, <laughs> whatever. You're such a Brooklynite. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it, those are the Jews in Brooklyn. You know, I mean, it's that, you know, or uh-huh. Jews, I, I could talk to myself all day, you know. But, you know, it's, you know that's, you know, it's, it's the, 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 the red roses on Twitter. Those are the people that I, I, I talk to a lot. So uh-huh. they're not, uh, but listen, I think, ultim- I, I think, that people have various experiences that inform, you know, their particular brand of identity politics, where they see themselves and, you know, it affects the way they vote and the way they're, they're doing things. And um, I think you can't lose perspective of your past. You right. can't lose perspective of the future. And to see yourself in others. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, I think that, you know, when we when we talk and, and, and we speak and whatever it is, you know, it's not about you becoming me. You know, if you're out there to change someone, so maybe you'll change someone, maybe you won't. And you're probably going to hate a lot of other people that don't change and become like you. You know, if it's not about saying, you know, I have friends that I disagree with stuff they do all the time and I'll tell them, I'll say, you know, hey, you know, I disagree with that. I think that's not cool. You know, that's mm-hmm. it's not about, you know, turning a blind eye and ignoring the things that, that are problems. Right. But if you're not speaking to each other and you're not, you know, trying to ins- inspire each other in a, in a positive sense, then... You'll it, engage with them. Yeah, exactly. Then, 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 then for sure nothing is happening. You know what I mean? You're not right. going to... You're not going to get someone to do more good in this world by telling you're an awful sinner, horrible person that's going to burn in hell in a pit of fiery damnation because you didn't do cause X, Y, or Z. Right. No, that guy's like, okay, next channel, you know, walk away. This person's crazy. Right. You know, he's a sugar in there, as they say in Brooklyn. Um, <laughs> but you know, if it's, you're going to bring up their defenses, yeah, you, you, know, can, you can't get it exactly. But if it's through positive engagement, I think that right. will that's the that's the change we need. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of spreading this positive engagement through your social media networking, right? Yeah. And is this what you talk about in your TED Talk as well? Yeah. I mean, it's it's not so much focused on the day-to-day interactions of, you know, you know, tweet, meme, A, or whatever it is. It's mm-hmm. a little bit more, you know, big picture. But the TED Talk is definitely about this idea of how can we spread light? How can we be messengers of goodness and, and you know, activists of, of sunshine and, and, and dispel darkness in that sense. You know, when you're in a dark room uh, and you strike a match, a small match, small light dispels a lot of darkness. Right. Um, and how can I be that agent of change? How can I bring that light to the And you're, you're talking about that around Earth and then also... In Mars? Is that uh, part no, of the... Um, not, not in that TED Talk, no. That, okay. That, was, uh, that, that, that is... All the Jews in space, that idea is that as well. That no matter where I am, no matter what I'm doing, how can I use this particular opportunity to, you know, explore what it means to be me and what it means to improve myself on a, in a personal level? And when you improve yourself, then you can begin to hope to create change in the world around you. Right. And you're also... I sense you're also a bit of a futurist. A little bit. I mean, not nothing. I I don't think that uh, my 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 intelligence is going to be stuck in some sort of AI, you know, computer bot sitting in a server somewhere. I'm not I'm not into that. Um, <laughs> but I I do think that technology 
there is something I do see something messianic in technology mm-hmm. in the sense that it's you, not something to be feared it can it, be embraced exactly the, the tech, I mean the, the the internet which is you know the era that we're in now you know if you had the previously it was you know radio and television before that it was like the printing press before that it was like pen and paper and then like you know stone the, you know stones and you right. know um, but in, in that kind of the iterations the way we express ideas um, so the internet was created you know, for the army in the event that, you know, the, the Soviet Union, you know, nuked our, our, our communications technologies. We'd have built-in redundancies to allow information to still be shared. That's why it was created. Wow. It was created for the most negative thing that people could imagine. Mm-hmm. And yet we can turn around and, you know, source the plowshares, you know, just change that technology that was created for something really dark and for war and destruction and say, no, I'm going to use it for good. I'm going to use it to share an idea, an idea worth sharing and spreading. I'm going to use it to try and, you know, you know, teach something positive and, you know, and, and meet new people and learn new things. Then there's something that's, that's amazing there. I mean, that's like, that's a good fire. That's like, you know, that's, that's, yeah, that's how, how and, I like and if we all do get annihilated, you'll be on Mars and your, your positive <laughs> tweets will exist. <laughs> uh, there'll be bots doing that for me already. <laughs> so what's next for you besides uh, waiting for that TED talk to get released? Um, what's next? So, I mean, we have all kinds of events coming with, uh, through our tech tribe organization. Uh, South by Southwest is the next big thing on my schedule. You, you going in March? I'm going in March. Yes. We have the open Shabbat is the big Friday night Shabbat meal at the Hilton downtown Austin, right next to the convention center. It's, it's right there, so mm-hmm. that will um, have you know any cool bands playing after the meal. Um, so we're the we're the we're during the interactive week, so it's much okay. more of the the tech. You know, there is a a a, um, a friend of mine. I'm going to give a shout out to my friend Kosha Dills, is a uh, a, a rapper who will go there and freestyles uh, by cool. the meal very often. Um, not every year, but whenever he's there, you know. He, mm-hmm. So we do have a, a musical element going as well. But you know, there's that big meal. Anyone listening, you don't have to be Jewish. You're invited to please come. Cool. Say you heard on the podcast, and I'll I'll know. Um, <laughs> and then uh, beyond that, I'm also presenting at South by. Um, they have an official Jewish meetup on the Monday of South by Southwest. So I want to say it's the tenth, something around there. But the the, the, the first Monday of the festival, where um, they have meetups for various interest groups. So I'm hosting the Jewish meetup for South by. Nice. And uh, there's a link in the show notes to uh, you as well. The the only verified uh, rabbi on Twitter that I know. There are some other ones, but I'm, I'm glad the one that you know. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm at Muttle on Twitter if you want to. Excellent. To, to well, thank you so much for putting up with my ignorance. No ignorance, just good questions. Thanks so much. Take care.